Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of our uh, pitfalls in diagnosis. I mentioned as we finish part one the importance of being able to look carefully at all parts of the study. And I mentioned that one of the biggest errors is would be an abdominal CT where you missed either a lung nodule or a pulmonary embolism at the base. It's interesting, people pay more attention looking for lung nodules than for pulmonary embolism, but an oncology patient, one to five percent will indeed have pulmonary embolisms. Now, how do the mistakes occur? Well, one is people don't look there. The other thing is that often you're looking with thicker sections, and for PEs, you often need thin sections, so you're looking at the thick and it's not seen, and on the thins, it's obviously seen. And I saw this because when I do the 3D imaging, I always have only the thins. And often in doing the 3Ds of the pancreas, for example, I pick up incidental PEs that were missed on the axial imaging. And even sometimes in retrospect, you couldn't see them on the thick sections. So again, this is very important. When I say one to 5% of oncology patients, certain patients like pancreatic cancers are gonna be much more common. So the way you don't miss it is have a high index of suspicion. If you're looking at an oncology patient, you're looking at the lung bases, always in your mind say, rule out PE. Routine review of thin sections will be indeed important. And here's just one example. Look at the right lower lung, look at the pulmonary artery. Very clear, there's a PE there, no problem. And you can see it again on the another axial image or on the coronal view, very, very obvious. Now, people sometimes argue and say, oh, if you miss it, so what? These small PEs aren't important. Perhaps it's just a PE that's a functional thing, but just is going to go away on its own, these tiny clots. But again, people talk about not doing anything with these tiny emboli, but the fact is, in our experience, Owens, everyone still gets anticoagulant therapy, essentially. So it's a very, very important diagnosis. And often people say, well, a patient has, is asymptomatic. But when you speak to the patients or you look a bit closer, they're not asymptomatic. The patients are tired, they're a touch short of breath, they have all these symptoms, but people assume it's due to the patient's cancer or the chemotherapy or radiation therapy that they're tired. And patients who get therapy are indeed tired but this is something beyond that. So this can indeed be very, very important. Another thing in terms of looking, and let's look at gastric pathology. Now, it's always easy to overcall, particularly in the fundus and in the antrum. Those are the two most challenging areas. But the fact is any portion of the stomach can be challenging, particularly if you're not distending the stomach. So in this case, the stomach is well distended, and we use water more and more, but whether you're using water or positive contrast, distension is everything. And here you see a one centimeter polyp. Okay, very easy. But you look at this case, what are you gonna tell me about the stomach? Is this lymphoma? Is this undistended? Is this gastric cancer? What is going on here? And you could look and say, well, let me look at the uh, some more axials, and let me look at the 3D, and let me look at the coronals. But there's some funny vessels there, but is there pathology? Is that real? Is it infiltration? Is it miniatriase? What is going on? Well, this patient, when you distend the stomach, now look at the multiple thickened folds. Those were all adenomatous polyps, hundreds of polyps, and you missed all of them because you did not distend the stomach. It's very, very important. Again, you overcall and you undercall. What are you gonna say? Stomach's not well distended, advise clinical correlation. Stomach not well distended, advise repeat CT. Stomach not well distended, advise clinical correlation. Stomach not well distended, 
advise endoscopy, you can see none of those things sound really good on the reports, especially when the patients are reading them. So our rule is always give the patient an additional cup of contrast when they get on the table. No technologist ever got yelled at for too much oral contrast in CT. Just give it, don't think about it. We use a lot of water, patients like water, no problem. Another thing with the stomach, this patient, uh, study was read as negative, has a hiatal hernia, elevated diaphragm, but look at the thickening in the fundus of the stomach. And you could argue, is that real? Is it partial averaging? But look at the coronal view. Look how obvious it is. That was a gastric adenocarcinoma. And here it is again, looking at it on the sagittal view. It's very important to look at coronals and sagittals, particularly near the fundus, easy to overcall or undercall pathology. I find that one of the reasons coronals and sagittals work so well is because things at the upper or lower end of fields often are ignored. I'll show you that with renal masses. But again, you gotta look very carefully. Now sometimes you overcall potentially. This was sent to us as a gastric cancer for staging. Patient has cirrhosis. Whenever there's cirrhosis and I'm doing arterial phase imaging, I'm always concerned about calling masses because you create masses. So you look at this case, I agree it kind of looks like a gastric cancer, maybe or esophageal cancer or something at the EG junction. But sure enough, 30 seconds later, all those things were with very large varices in a patient with portal hypertension and cirrhosis. And you could see it could be catastrophic doing a biopsy there or planning a biopsy or just looking really dumb because you thought there was a tumor and it's simply huge varices in a patient with um, shunting to the uh, stomach, to the very uh, nice varices present and shown really well in this example. Now, I also talk about a potential pitfall that relates to the stomach and relates to many things. When things are at the edge of organs, this was a patient, and again, this case also makes the point about one pitfall, which is we want clinical history, but clinical history is used in addition to the imaging findings. Because here it said, just tumor of the stomach, preoperative evaluation. And so I look at this, and sure enough, you look at the imaging, this looks like a classic exophytic gist tumor. 70 to 90% are exophytic, there's no problem. Okay, but wait a second. If I look a bit closer and the venous phase imaging, in retrospect, not only does that mass look like it's coming off the stomach, but look at the left lobe of the liver. The fact is this mass is coming from the left lobe of the liver. It's an exophytic pedunculated lesion. And are you sure you might ask, well, let's look at the enhancement. And I noted the enhancement, and I said the enhancement is very unusual for a gist tumor. And when you think about that enhancement and you close your eyes, you're looking at a hemangioma, right? Classic puddling. There's no mistake. And now you see the communication, and voila, this was a hemangioma. So hemangiomas are usually right lobe of the liver. They're intrahepatic. Occasionally, like this case, they're extrahepatic. It can really fool you. And okay, make a mistake once, we learn. This case comes in as an angiosarcoma, it was biopsied. This was read as an extrahepatic mass, but you see it's really the liver and it's really an exophytic hemangioma. And of course, if you give a pathologist a sample of, the, of what wasn't considered to be the liver and you say it's a vascular mass, they're calling angiosarcoma. This was resected, the patient was having pain and it was a giant hemangioma. So again, look at the importance of thinking about things at edges of organs and the importance of looking at enhancement pattern. 
When something has an enhancement pattern that looks like something else, this looks like a hemangioma. You better be thinking hemangioma. Pathology can indeed be wrong, particularly on the, just biopsies. Now, when we talk about misdiagnoses, it's always interesting to think about, is a misdiagnosis something that happens if you do the wrong protocol? I would say indeed it is. This is a patient with cirrhosis. So you know very well, if you're looking for hepatoma, if you're evaluating the liver, you need multiple phases. You also know from the old days, if you only had one phase, it better be arterial. And so here you see multiple small one centimeter vascular lesions that are multifocal hepatoma, no problem. Now, if instead of arterial phase, you would have done venous phase, those lesions are gone, okay? You read the image on your right as cirrhosis, no problems. You would indeed be correct, but incorrect at the same time. So we can do a lot better. Not only can we look at things arterial phase and see nodules like this, that's easy, but in this case of a cirrhotic patient, there's no obvious mass, but look at those vessels in the right lobe of the liver. And perhaps it's some AV shunting, that's not uncommon in cirrhotic livers, but look at this a little more carefully. Okay, still it looks like maybe AV shunting. But what if I put that into a MIP image? Now you see the vascularity, and now you see it's not just neovascularity or AV shunting, it's true neovascularity for a tumor mass. And what you're dealing with here is a hepatoma, which is biopsy proven. Very easy to see on the MIP, on the 3D volumes, it really shows you have this cluster of vessels that's abnormal. Cirrhotic liver, you have to be highly suspicious it's a hepatoma. But again, easy to miss or not appreciate on the axial images alone. This whole area about cirrhotic livers and vessels, I showed you a case with a mass, almost a mass in the gastric fundus, but this is a mass in the pancreas. Tail of pancreas and the pancreatic conference for resectability potential. And you look and you say, there's the mass, there's the splenic vein, and the mass is pretty big, or splenic artery rather. Is this patient resectable? You're giving all sorts of thoughts. But then you look at the venous phase imaging and you see what you're dealing with are all varices. This patient has cirrhotic liver, and yes, it's not that bad, but it's bad enough that you have large varices. And so in this case, we were not dealing with a pancreatic mass, we're dealing with large varices simulating a pancreatic mass. So technique is so critical. So this is a good point to emphasize here at this transition point, that technique is so critical. That technique, if, not, if you're using the wrong technique, it can really create giant pitfalls for you. It's like giant potholes, you're just gonna fall right in. You need to be certain that you're looking at the image in multiple phases, in cases like liver, and in cases often like pancreas. So pancreas, where are the mistakes? We always talk about detection being an error. Can you detect small tumors? What's the smallest tumor can you detect? Did you overlook that small tumor? Is it really a pancreatic mass, or is it a duodenal mass, or is it a peripancreatic mass? What is it? Is it a vascular lesion like a neuroendocrine tumor or is it adenocarcinoma? Is it something else simulating a tumor, a giant duodenal diverticulum? Is it a splenic artery aneurysm? There are many pitfalls in looking at the pancreas. Now let's look at the positive things first. With fast scanning and thin sections, we're so good at picking up lesions. Look at this five millimeter head of the pancreas neuroendocrine tumor. That's spectacular. Look how small that lesion is. That's an incidental neuroendocrine tumor. We had a hard time picking up known neuroendocrine tumors or suspected based on clinical history. Now we can see these lesions and look how nicely you can see that. But when you look at neuroendocrine tumors, timing is everything. I'm showing you arterial phase. You go to this patient, 
Looks like a great scan. I don't see a mass, do you? You look hard. No dilated pancreatic duct, no common duct. You know, looks okay to me. And look at that area by the head. Does that bother you at all? Even in retrospect, the answer is no. But with IV contrast and 30 seconds earlier, look at that mass you missed, almost a three centimeter head of pancreas mass that was a neuroendocrine tumor. And here it is on the MIP imaging, very nicely shown. And here it is arterial and venous side by side. Look how easy it was to miss the lesion if you didn't do arterial phase imaging. So again, looking at a pancreatic mass, you must have dual phase imaging, you must have good arterial phase imaging, or you're gonna miss the neuroendocrine tumors. You can make tremendous mistakes. And it's not just in this scenario, here's a renal cell carcinoma follow-up, and you look at the image on your left or right, and you say, wow, this looks good, the patient's doing great. 12 years post uh, renal carcinoma, the, distal pa the patient has a nephrectomy, the uh, spleen and pancreas rotate toward the renal bed, some bowel does also, looks great. But look what happens, this is venous phase. Look what happens arterial phase. There's a three and a half centimeter metastasis to the pancreatic tail. That will be resected, there it is again on the MIP imaging and volume rendered imaging. But you'll save this patient's life because this is the only lesion the patient has. And with resection and distal pancreatectomy, the patient could go on for many more years. Again, renal cell carcinoma, 90% are clear cells. Clear cells are vascular. The metastasis are vascular, whether it's the pancreas, to bone or to liver as three examples. Very, very important. Now, it's not always a potential misdiagnosis. It's maybe an overcall or a miscall. Patient referred to Dr. Cameron and Hopkins for this islet cell tumor. And you look quickly, it looks like an islet cell tumor in the tail of the pancreas. No problem. But when I was doing the 3D mapping, I noticed this tortuous splenic artery with the calcifications. So that wasn't a partially calcified neuroendocrine tumor. It was really a splenic artery aneurysm. And we just caught it that way. You caught it at the very edge of the field and you assumed it was a neuroendocrine tumor. So you need to be very careful in both scenarios. Now, at times, patients come in for suspected pancreatic masses, and they're not. I mean, one possibility, which we'll speak about in a different lecture, is autoimmune pancreatitis, where it looks like a pancreatic mass, and perhaps you patients have been operated on, and it's just inflammatory, but there are a number of things. Some are tumors, and some the treatment doesn't change. Duodenal carcin carcinoma or duodenal gist tumor, the patient's going to get a Whipple's procedure in the first. With a gist tumor, you might get Gleevec first and then resection. Then we talk about nodes, including uh, from a different primary versus lymphoma versus lymphangioma. Here's a nice example of what looks like a cystic pancreatic mass, but there's no dilated common pancreatic duct, and this was a gist tumor of the duodenum. Same thing here, solid mass, looks like a pancreatic tumor perhaps, but with a big mass like this, you should see dilated pancreatic and common duct. You don't see anything. You look at the vessels, they're not distorted. This lesion is really, really smooth very well defined, and on the venous side, pushes on the portal vein and SMV, but does not involve them. And that's classic for a GIST tumor. GIST tumors commonly occur in the duodenum. You gotta be thinking about that possibility. Very, very important. So a few summary slides. Conclusion, errors can be avoided. Multiphase acquisition is critical to pick up all of the lesions and not miss any. Post-processing is super critical. And just knowing about the pitfalls as we discuss them, every time I lecture, it makes me think about it more and it minimizes the chance of me making those same errors. 
So let's go on and let's also touch a little bit on the kidney. One of the things I always like to mention is limitations. We all do a lot of stone protocols, but I think it's important for us as well as the referring doc to know what the limitations of a stone protocol is. Stone protocol means we're saying there's no stone. We're not saying there's no renal mass. There's no big obvious mass. We're not saying there's not a small mass as hematuria cause or vascular issues or bladder issues. We're just saying there's a stone present or it's not a stone. If it's a stone, where is it? How large it is? What's happening with obstruction? And this idea about errors within the uh, kidney and GU tract, uh, Jonathan Berlin, most common reason for misdiagnosis is a perceptual error, an error in which the radiologist fails to observe or recognize an abnormality. And in the GU tract, improper technique is one of the common causes of error. So let's look at what are the sources of pitfalls and pratfalls and misdiagnosis in CT. I put three things down, phase of acquisition, image display format, and rendering. Phase of acquisition. I've mentioned in other talks there is no single perfect phase for anything. So non-contrast. We tend to try to do non-contrast as little as possible. People have spoken about virtual non-contrast. The issue is as we try to reduce dose, non-contrast is often not that helpful. Though in the kidney it's helpful because it's easy to detect renal calculi. It's ideal for determining what a density of a lesion is. So if you see a lesion that measures 70 Hounsfield units on arterial and delayed, you might say, well, this is a, a, a poorly vascularized carcinoma. But when you go back to non-contrast, it's 70 there as well, and you know you're simply dealing with a high-density renal cyst. So the non-contrast are very valuable in that regard. And the non-contrast can often allow you to make a high-density renal cyst diagnosis even without contrast. So here's just a good example. Left kidney looks like a mass, almost looks like the strophic calcification of vascularity. But you realize this mass looks the same on this phase where it measures about 75 pounds filled units and on the expiratory phase. Now, those phases are four minutes apart. Now, you don't need to have, not every tumor is markedly vascular, but tumors do change over time, at least 20, 30 Hounsfield units. In my experience, if the density on arterial and delayed is exactly the same, you better be thinking that you're dealing with a high-density renal cyst. Go back, bring the patient back, get a non-contrast study. There's the high-density lesion, even some very faint calcifications. This is classic for a high-density renal cyst. And it's a very, very important diagnosis these are the patients who typically get partial nephrectomy and then come back as negative or not even come back with PATH because the patient had RF ablation. So it's very, very important. Really think about what you're doing. Don't fall into the trap. Now, I mentioned a moment ago there's no one perfect phase for imaging all renal masses. There's no one phase that's 100% successful 100% of the time. Each phase has its advantages. And why don't we stop there for a few moments and then we'll come back and pick this up and we'll finish part three in this series of misdiagnoses. See you back here in a moment. Thanks a lot.